I love this book. This book is one of those from which I could simply read passage after passage for the entirety of our service this morning. I hope its relevance becomes more clear to you as we move along, its relevance to this morning's topic. The title for today's sermon is also one of those titles that I have no recall of what I was thinking when I came up with it. I have seen, I had seen a quote or reread a note that I had once written when I chose the title and the topic, which had to be turned in for our newsletter more than a month before today's service. And then, of course, I could not later locate the quote or the note. But fortunately, I have some ideas. I came up with the ideas while thinking about what to write for my monthly newsletter column, which will be coming out about next Sunday. As I pondered what to offer to you in my column, the focus of today's sermon became a bit more clear. I am very aware that the current state of our nation is one that disgusts and greatly worries me. There is a plaque on our beloved Statue of Liberty given to us by France in the late 1800s. The plaque displays the words of poet Emma Lazarus from her new Colossus. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these the hopeless, homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. <coughs> I have a poster of the statue and those words hung on the side of my refrigerator. I see it often and never fail to wonder what happened to us. I am speaking in large generalities here, but when did we stop welcoming the huddled masses yearning, yearning to breathe free? Surely we did welcome them at one time or another, for it is a fact that many of our own ancestors were immigrants. I myself am Irish on my father's side, French on my mother's side, though little, if anything, was made of that when I was a child. But unless you are an indigenous person, Native American, your ancestors were immigrants at some time, point in time. And I'm not going to get into the complicated history of our <clears throat> largely violent takeover of the land way back when, or our no less complicated history of immigration in this country. Nor am I going to get into the complicated cultural and literary dynamics of Lazarus's poem. I will only say that our history has not been good along these lines, and the poem, highly idealistic as it is, is perhaps a bit unrealistic, but the idealism of the poem is very important, perhaps more a set of goals than a definition of who we were and what we had achieved, who we are, and what we hope to achieve. Ideals are important, hugely important to us as individuals, as clans, as cultures, and as countries. As one website said, 
the five founding ideals of America are the ideas that our country focuses on and is built around. They include democracy, a government where the power is in the hands of the people, rights, powers given to people under the law, liberty, being independent and free, opportunity, the chance for success, equality, the state of being the same or equal, of having similar opportunities. And the French builder of the statue included a broken shackle and chains around Lady Liberty's feet, symbolic of the then recent abolition of slavery in this country. The idealism of the statue is wonderful and exceedingly important. But it does seem as though we have failed to rise up to those ideals, at least of late. It seems we have not even come close to reaching toward those ideals and more. It seems as though we don't even embrace them as goals to try to live up to. And by we, I mean some Americans, a lot of Americans maybe, a lot of noisy Americans. Americans who don't apparently pause to consider the horror some immigrants are running from in their own countries in order to come to this highly touted land of opportunity to live in safety and freedom. Americans who don't apparently care about the suffering of others, but only care about themselves and their own. When did we decide that building a wall between us and them was a good and righteous thing to do? When did us and them become a value? And beyond the immigrant issues, how can we claim to embrace freedom when we seek to control reproductive rights or self-identity rights or the right of loving whom we choose to love? How can we support the spectacularly outlandish and, in my mind, immoral contrasts between the rich and the poor in this country, the greed of the multi-billionaires when others in this country, far too many others, are homeless and live on the streets? We have politicians who massively lie, cheat, and steal and are rarely silenced or called to account. We have people who loudly and without reserve support these same politicians. Who are we as a nation and what are we becoming? It distresses me tremendously as I am guessing it does at least some of you. So how are we to live with the distress, despair, and anxiety. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because live with it we must, at least for now, at least until we can combine our concern and our efforts to change things. And if we don't learn to live with it, it depletes us to the point where we won't have the energy to change things. I have had to work at learning to live with it. I've had to work hard and continuously remind myself to do the work 
but I have found some things that have helped me, so I thought I would share them with you. One thing that is useful for me is to pay attention to and absorb the moment when the moment is good in even the smallest of ways. Don't just smell the coffee, but pause to take in deeply the rich smell of the fresh brewed coffee. Another thing I do is spend more time being aware and enjoying the excitement with which my dogs greet me when I come home. And I don't tickle or cuddle with my dogs absent-mindedly, but rather intentionally and mindfully. If I was unable to have a pet, I would snuggle with a stuffed toy, a big one, and just give myself over to the moment of soft and fuzzy closeness. I am intentional about taking in the sights, scents, and sounds of the outside every time I go outside, and I make a point of going out, even if only into my own backyard, four or five times a day. I marvel at the gifts of the sky offers, the gifts that the sky offers day and night. The scent of grass, especially new mown grass, the sound of birds chirping and insects chattering. And I don't merely note them, I listen to them. They are a gift. I rejoice at the beauty of a finely spun spider web and take some time to really look at it, to really see it. And I don't just look at a tree, but often I will go up and lay my hand on its trunk, feel the texture of this great living thing. And I laugh a lot. I find funny things to laugh at, whether I am alone or with others and I enjoy the gift of my own laughter and that of others. It is healing. And another thing I remind myself to do is to pay more attention to the kindness of others, strangers holding doors open for others, strangers again smiling at one another, sometimes as if they are truly seeing others for the first time and realizing we are all in this together. And I am enjoying my own kindnesses, how smiling at a stranger uplifts me, especially when they smile back, which they almost always do. And one thing that has really given me joy or bliss of late is this. On Sundays at the corner of Reese Road and Witten, which is the route I bring to church. There is an elderly African-American man sitting in a lawn chair selling copies of the commercial appeal. He is there every Sunday throughout the year, rain or shine, and no matter how hot or cold the weather. For a number of weeks in this hot, hot summer, I thought how nice it would be if I brought him one of the ice-cold bottles of iced tea I keep in my refrigerator. One Sunday, I actually remembered to bring one with me. <clears throat> I pulled up in the turn lane beside him, and he, assuming I was coming for a paper, reached over to his stack to get one. 
for me. I said, do you like iced tea? He said, yes, and I handed him the bottle through my car window. He thanked me, and I drove on feeling pretty good. A couple of weeks later, I grabbed another bottle as I left for church. I pulled up beside him, and again, he started to reach for a paper. No, I said as I handed the bottle out, just another iced tea. His face lit up as he accepted the bottle from me. It absolutely lit up, as did my own. And I thought about it fairly frequently for some time after that. It gave me joy for several days. Sharing a meal or a walk with a friend and really focusing on the friend and how interesting or how much fun they are is a delight. But it can't be a delight if you are not in the moment and focused. If you are checking your emails or texts or looking up details of something that was just mentioned, that can be saved for later when you and your friend have parted company. Alan Lightman further wrote in his book, In Praise of Wasting Time, I much admire the technologies and individuals who have made my life possible, but these developments have come at a cost, and it is time that we recognize what we have lost. What have we lost? We are so crushed by our schedules, to-do lists, and hyper-connected media that we no longer have moments to think and reflect on both ourselves and the world. What have we lost? If we cannot sit alone in a quiet room with only our thoughts for 10 minutes, what have we lost? If we no longer have time to let our minds wander and roam without particular purpose, what have we lost? If we and our children no longer have time to play, if we no longer experience the quality of slowness or a digestible rate of information or silence or privacy. More narrowly, what have I personally lost when I must be engaged with a project every hour of the day, when I rarely let my mind spin freely without friction or deadlines, when I rarely sever myself from the rush and the heave of the external world. What have I lost? He mentions several things he believes he, that we lose when we don't allow for unstructured time. And then he writes, but I've lost more. I believe I have lost something of my inner self. By inner self, I mean that part of me that imagines, that dreams, that explores, that is constantly questioning who I am and what is important to me. My inner self is my true freedom. My inner self roots me to me and to the ground beneath me. When I listen to my inner self, I hear the breathing of my spirit. Those breaths are so tiny and delicate. I need stillness to hear them. I need slowness to hear them. I need vast, silent spaces in my mind. I need privacy. Without the breathing and the voice of my inner self, I am a prisoner of the wired world around me. 
Let us not be prisoners of our own worlds. Let us take time to find those things that are truly blissful. And let us also take time to hear the breathing of our own spirits, those breaths that are so tiny and delicate, but which are us so very deeply and at our core. Amen.